Hi, I'm Mike McMahon, and you are listening to The Greatest Track. My friends, the great experiment. Oh, the Lord, thanks. Thanks. Hit it. Trick. Trick. Would you look at that? The Greatest Trick. Trick. Two people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star. Trick. Trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Blah. <laughs> Blah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a fun part of this. All the doing the voices in your head and, and getting to come up with one new one that we all know how to do. Everybody can do the Drac impression. Blah. This is going to be the stupidest question I've ever asked on this show. <laughs> wow. Okay. And I should have looked it up before getting on mic with you. Like, this is the bare minimum amount of research I could have done for this. <laughs> Dracula is real, right? You mean like Dracula is a real man? Yeah. Or was, I mean. Vampires do exist. Like, there was a man in Transylvania... Named Dracula, and people thought he sucked people's blood and stuff, but it ended up being just a bad neighbor situation, right? But there was a Dracula, right? I'm on the DuckDuckGo internet search program. Mm -hmm. First uh, response to my question, is Dracula real, is a History.com article, was Dracula a real person? What a mustache on this guy! Oh, shoot me a link. All right, wait. There's like a thing in in our Slack window, right? Oh, yeah. Let's use the thing in the Slack window. <laughs> the Whoa, <mustache>. check <laughs> out the push broom on Drac. Drac has uh, never been depicted with this mustache as far as I know. But uh, He looks see. like he's smelling a cigar without using his hands. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like son of Dracul. Yeah, he was based on a real guy. I mean, was he a bad guy? Because if he's not, all of this seems pretty mean, right? Let's see. He he became notorious for brutal tactics employed against his enemies, including torture, mutilation, and mass murder. So that seems bad. They have it coming. Hmm. Yeah, they're right. Okay, so I'm back on the side of it's cool to make fun of Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Imagine being like history's badass, you know, murder, mayhem, torture, what have you, and then becoming like just the butt of a comic book joke. Yeah. Hundreds of years later. That's what you deserve, Dracula. Right. Oh, but listen to this. During his campaign against Ottoman invaders in 1462, he had as many as 20,000 victims, but that seems like he was just, that's... He was defending his country, right? If it was, if they were invading, we have more friends of Desoto than Dracula had victims. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> <laughs> I love that statistic. Our our body count is quietly higher than <laughs> that of Vlad Dracul. Yeah, <laughs> our bloodsucker of a show. Yeah, yeah, we've victimized kind of a lot of people. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. I think that's good backstory. Yeah. Because a a big deal is made in the comic books about like how fair use Dracula is. You can put Dracula in any story. You don't have to pay anyone. There's no estate of Dracula you have to worry about. 
You could say whatever you want about him. That was a, a line of comedy in this comic that I really appreciated. The like, yeah, Sherlock Holmes is a thing in Star Trek because it's free. <laughs> yeah, which is so consistent with our great theory about Star Trek, which is it's the most economical science fiction brand yeah. there's ever been. Yeah, they can really stretch a buck out, you know, Yeah, over there at the Star Trek Industrial Complex. But they can also really stretch a story out, as we found in this three-part uh, comic book series that we read for today's episode. Yeah, this is a series that came out late last year. And if you're listening to this much later than we put it out, uh, late in the year 2022. And I did something unusual for us. Usually when we do a comic book episode, we'll, we'll download those comics. Oh, yeah. And we'll, we'll read them on our iPad devices. I went down the street to a comic shop. Wow. And you'll never believe what they had there. Well, you'll believe half of what I'm about to tell you. They only had two of the three comics in print. Okay. Comic book number three, unavailable. But here's the best part. Sold out, huh? The first comic is signed by Jack Quaid. (laughs) Whoa. And all of the Lower Decks comics were signed by Jack Quaid. Like, I went back in the stacks. Yeah. You know, like, comic shops will have, like, the newness laying out, like, to look at, like a like a magazine stand or whatever. Right. And then they'll have back issues in the long boxes. Right. I had to go into the long boxes for these, and every Lower Decks comic in the long box had been signed by Jack Quaid. Wow. Do you think he lives in your neighborhood? Do you Are you... Quaid proximate? Is that what's going on? I don't know about Jack Quaid, but I did run into Dennis Quaid at the driving range <laughs> like a month and a half ago. Yeah. And like we had a brief interaction. There was an issue with, uh, you know, scanning your credit card to get the golf balls to go into your basket uh-huh. to go and whack them with. Uh-huh. And he was struggling with the reader situation, just like everyone does. We just had a little bit of a laugh. About how absurd it was that they made it so hard to get your balls at the driving range. His brother Randy's actually been crashing on my couch. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's a delight, too. Yeah, he's fun. (laughs) Seems like a good man. He's not going to pay, though. Like, he's not going to chip in for dinner. No. Whatever. No. Yeah, he's... uh... You know, we struggle to get him to clean up the uh, the dishes afterwards, you know. What a genetically amazing smile the Quaid smile is, you know? Yeah. God, yeah. great looking smile. It's a hot smile. I wish I had a smile that didn't horrify people. <laughs> yeah, you, you've got more of a, like a Vlad Dracul neighborhood of smile. <laughs> I'll never have the Vlad Dracul push broom mustache, I'll tell you that much. You know what I love about that portrait of him is that he's got his hair, like, he he got, like, the curler out and did the ringlet curls of his hair in exactly the same scale as his mustache. So it looks like his mustache is just a horizontal lock of hair. It looks like he's world's biggest fan of lamb kebab. (laughs) Because both his mustache and all of the hair ringlets look like kebab. They do kind of look like... Is he just doing a bit? We can't see the other side of his head. This is kind of a three-quarter angle. Did he just get one, like, ringlet of hair around from the other side and hold that in between his nose and upper lip like a pencil? We have to make this image the show art. It's totally inscrutable to any viewer out there what we're talking about. I No, no. 
I refuse to make this the show art. This will be on the on the Greatest Trek Instagram. You can okay. go there and find out. Throw us a follow if you want. Oh, okay. Show art TBD. Then you're saying we. This is what's so great about uh, the printed media. We've got show yeah. art on every page. We did a recent Q and A, and that's actually an element of the process that we didn't talk about. Is that uh, every week Bill pulls like five or six images, and then Wendy picks one, and that's yeah. the one that winds up being the background of the uh, audiogram that we put out on social media, and uh, and the image on Maximum Fun's homepage when we uh, when we post the episode there. It's a great process. It works every time. Yeah, and it's fun for us because we just get to see it when it's like done, basically. And it's like, hey, fun. <laughs> I love the choices that Bill makes because like- Nobody is better at this. I'll not only see the choice that Wendy chooses to win, but like all of the candidates are also great candidates. Yeah, yeah, nobody is better. Well, do you want to get into this uh, very long comic? Oh, that we came to read today. So, Ben, what I'm thinking is you and I can sign this comic just like Jack Quaid did. Uh-huh. And then uh, maybe we can auction it off to a friend of DeSoto and uh, give the funds someplace uh, where they can do some good. What do you think about that? I love it. I'm very excited about this. I think it's going to happen on the Discord. That's where okay. we should do this. Oh, wow. All right. Drunkshimoto.com is the greatest gen, greatest Trek Discord. That's where it should be, right? Is there a way to do an auction? Is that like a functionality of Discord? Is that why you're suggesting that? I have no idea. I just <laughs> I feel like it's such a smooth operation over there that that they're gonna figure out a way to make it work. Uh, yeah, that J Poop can figure this out. Yeah. I I trust in that. Smooth release. That's how this one's gonna go. Thanks to J Poop. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. It's uh, Star Trek Lower Decks comic does the series have a name i don't think the series has a name but i think we can safely call it uh lower drax yeah fair Uh, uh, uh. well adam this uh episode of lower decks begins like many others we come in in media starship fight and uh the Warring species here. I think the kind of hippie ones are a TOS reference, and maybe the other, sure, the the Starians. Yeah, are. these are the Charles Napier aliens of TOS. Yeah. Right, there's somebody new, and uh, the Cerritos is like trying to get in between them. This doesn't have a ton of bearing on the upcoming events, but uh, you know, kind of gets us in the mood. Whets our whistle. There's something very subtle about how this story opens with these brand of aliens, though, because it seems like a, a disconnect between great technology and idiots wielding that technology right from jump <laughs> that you don't really put together until the very end. Sure. Yeah, it's one of those, like, the Federation protects its own and, like, these people are too dumb to realize the free protection that they are being offered by uh, denying that they are members of the Federation themselves. Right. We're like, yeah, our species is, but we're not. Sure. <laughs> a lot of uh, herb being thrown around. I don't know if that's going to get bleeped out. But uh, Ooh, Yeah. Uh, my vote would be bleep it, Wendy. Um, maybe you can leave like the first sound that Adam made there, but I, uh, 
I personally feel really uncomfortable with you using that word. Her b**tude also probably mm. yeah. not going to no, make if, the cut. It, if you could stop now, I think that uh, that would be good for all of us. Mother her b- Okay, all right. <laughs> you can't say that! I like that the, the one guy's weapons are so bad that they actually help the Cerritos' shields. Yeah. This is very unusual that the Cerritos isn't the shittiest starship, you know? I know. But a fun twist. And uh, with this resolved, they head off, and uh, we see Freeman in her office getting a, uh, a message from an admiral at Starfleet. He's got like a, a second contact mission for her to go uh, reestablish contact with the Quavanti. Hippies in space? Yeah. They don't belong with this technology. <laughs> this is another confusing Freeman problem. And an admiral who knows better than to uh, stick her on an important assignment, but does it anyway. So uh, with that order to go check on the Quavanti, like dangling over her head, Freeman uh, orders the ship to warp and it's a long trip. So the lower deckers get some time to goof around in the holodeck while they're en route. And uh, we catch up with Boim's Mariner and uh, Tendi playing a Dixon Hill novel, which... Boimler has fired up because he is a nerd of Captain Picard and Mariner is just dunking on him for choosing such a boring program, you know. Mariner's right. I just don't see what the attraction is in this kind of program. Like, if you're not flying something or underwater or in deep space... There's all the femmes fatale that come in your front door when you're at Dixon Hill, right? I need your help, Mr. Hill. That's the attraction. It's a horny program. It is. You know what? That's the excitement. Anyone could walk through that door. Yeah. The necklines are almost always plunging. Yeah. Yeah. Tendy looks damn good in a plunging neckline, huh? Yeah. Hey, what did you think of the editorializing at the very bottom of every page? Because this is a thing that runs through all three comics and is not introduced in any way. Yeah, it's it's an interesting feature of these, which is that they seem to both be like the voice of the author, but also so- somewhat in world. Like, yeah, some of the time they seem to be like notes that are contemporaneous with the action and other times are like, hey, like now it's canon for little miniature starships to make pew, pew, pew noises when they when they're flying around in the holodeck. Right. You know, I felt like maybe the person that wrote this anticipated that a show like ours would uh, eventually review this comic and mm. wanted to get out ahead of some of the like kind of jokey commentary about the comic book. Uh, we see you, Ryan North. <laughs> <laughs> but then other times it really did feel like it was like, you know, life in the Federation sure is great. And that being a comment coming from the perspective of a member of the Federation. It's on almost every page. And I think that is something to know also, because it's not just that a person has written a narrative, but they've also written a description of the narrative where there's an extra joke on every page. Yeah. A little bonus joke for your money. I like it. 
Yeah. I was genuinely delighted by a few of those. So I was a fan. It's very small type though, Ben. Yeah, it's you, you do really have to uh, use the comicsology zoom in technology to read a lot of it. Oh, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. Do you use guided reading mode? Uh, like this? Yeah. Where you're like zoomed in on the boxes? So here's what this is. When you read a comic on comicsology, you have the option of guided reading mode, which is punching into frames. Yeah. And then in sequence going through those frames and then like you get the wide shot of the page either before or after reading all of these panels too. I kind of liked it except for the loss of fidelity you get when it punches in. Yeah, the uh, the scans are not quite high res enough to make it look great. Yeah. on every page. But um I also found that uh if you just turn your tablet on its side like you can just scroll up and down all the way through the book. And I found that that was a slightly better reading experience because it was the correct resolution at that size. I never turned it to the side. (laughs) I have never turned it to the side. You got to try turning it to the side. It's good. I always held my iPad up like a comic book, like straight up and down. Yeah. This was the first time I've ever read a comic book on my iPad and actually thought to do that. So uh, you're not alone. The way to do it. Anyways, good note. Mariner wants to uh, goof around on the bridge of an Enterprise rather than try and simulate what a former captain of an Enterprise would do in their free time. So we go through the NX01 Enterprise. We go through 1701, no bloody A, B, C, or D. We wind up on the C, and that's not uh, exactly what they want. And so they kick into a different program that has... Considerably higher stakes. That is the Sherlock Holmes program. And at this point, Boimler is terrified because Mariner is like basically playing Moriarty chicken with him. I'm shocked that given what happened to Moriarty, you could even do a Moriarty-based Sherlock Holmes holodeck program. Yeah. Like that would seem to be... You know, I'm against censorship in in any form, Ben, but I got to say, like, maybe there's reason why you don't do that on the holodeck of a Federation starship, right? Wow. But it's like, you know, if free speech isn't an absolute, then we're already on the slippery slope (laughs) now that you've said that. Yeah. Yeah, that's heavy. They don't interrogate that aspect of things. It's mostly that Moriarty is dangerous. Well, they do, because I think that Mariner like knows that there are safeties in place mm-hmm. to, to prevent a Moriarty situation that Boimler is not aware of. So he's like shitting himself that they're going to accidentally fall into a Moriarty situation. And he's like trying to describe what, why that would be bad. And yeah. Mariner is uh, goofing on him, basically. I really love that we get Lower Deck's cartoonification of Geordi, Data, and Pulaski on that page. Yeah. Like, that's neat. They're not just referred to, but we actually see them in that art style. It seems like maybe you can get away with that for cheaper in a comic book than you can <laughs> in the actual show. Right. But yeah, the mind that can defeat Data being the magic words that made Moriarty the dangerous thing that uh, he could is something that's programmed in the computer now. So when Mariner calls for, quote unquote, another public domain adversary (laughs) capable of defeating Data, uh, the computer falls somewhat short of that. 
creating a non-sentient character in one Vlad Dracul. Greetings, I am the Count. Oh, hi, Count. He wants to suck your blood, Adam. (laughs) He does vaunt that. Yeah. He does not have a beautiful mustache. He does not have long, curly locks. Was Chekhov a Dracula? (laughs) Oh, shoot. Yeah. He, he would have a very hard time saying Victor, Victor, wouldn't he? He really would. <laughs> the greatest trick. I think part of the challenge of a Dracula story of any kind is just overcoming the inherent cheesiness of Dracula. Yeah. You know, like Miriam filmmakers have tried to make Dracula scary with, you know, various results <laughs> but i think you're safe like in a comic book to make a drag yeah yeah i mean like they really lean into like this is the dracula you see when you close your eyes when imagine a dracula you know he looks a lot like boimler right <laughs> yeah just in the like lower decks art style the like face structure is uh-huh. very similar it's, it's basically pointy hair widow's peak boims yeah uh, it's Boimler wearing Drac face. <laughs> and no one could be offended by it. We Dracula's have a right to be proud. So as they have booted this up, the ship has pulled into the orbit of the Quavanti planet. And we've been told that one of the things about this planet is that the surface is unscannable because of their crazy ionic atmosphere. And we've also been reminded at this point that Part of what made Moriarty so dangerous was like a power surge that happened at just the wrong moment. Yeah. So uh, they're like descending through the atmosphere as Boimler is uh, goofing around. He's he's now like satisfied that the computer isn't going to create a Moriarty and uh, like basically says like, yeah, if you said something like dot, 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 as the ship is descending through the atmosphere and uh, that has massive repercussions for how dangerous this character winds up becoming. It's so scary. You got to be very careful when you're around these kinds of storms. Yeah. The the computer doesn't get a joke ever. Yeah, like and you'd think that after Badgie, after being the computer of the Cerritos for as long as this computer has, it would start to pick up on goofs. But this computer is like my father-in-law, like just does not pick up on that stuff. The computer makes things smarter than itself fairly often. <laughs> and that doesn't seem possible. Yeah. It seems, I mean, it seems bad, you know. <laughs> like, like, could I go to chat GPT and say like, make code for a chat bot that is better than chat GPT? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Pretty much, right? Yeah. I miss hearing the Boimler screen. Like, reading it just doesn't hit the same. (laughs) It's Boimler scream methadone. Yeah. (laughs) But I do love hearing it in my mind. So, uh, yeah, he screams when Dracula goes for Mariner. And instead of seeing what happens, we cut right to Ransom's office where... Mariner comes in, having been in Six Bay, getting the bite marks in her neck fixed. 
and uh, and and Ranzim is furious that there is now a sentient creature living in the holodeck, a la Moriarty, because this means a bunch of paperwork for Ransom, presumably, and they're going to have to pull into a starbase and have some like specially trained sentient hologram technicians deal with this. Have you ever had your neck bitten? I feel like I've told this story on the show, but a girl wearing uh, vampire teeth for Halloween bit my neck, like as wow. a joke. Like recently? No, this was like at a college party. Okay. And was it a, a sexy nibble kind of bite or did she really like go for it? I think she intended it as a sexy nibble, but those teeth are sharp. The plastic teeth. Yeah. And it was momentarily terrifying. Wow. Because it hurt really bad, but also like any kind of like just thinking about a puncture wound on my neck was also really scary. <laughs> to the jugular? <laughs> yeah. I didn't like it at all. Was this the kind of plastic chompy teeth that come in, you know, the occasional jack-o'-lantern? Or were they like actual I think these were the glue-on joints. Glue on your incisors brand. Yeah. yeah. Did not like. At some point, the network wanted us to send in pictures of us looking like Draculas for something. And I went as far as to order some of those glue-on teeth. And then I was like, the fuck am I doing? I have Photoshop on my computer. Yeah. So I have a set of those, but I've never opened the package. Oh, really? Yeah, because I like they didn't accept returns because it's like a use inside your birdie kind of product. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like trying on a swimsuit at right. the store. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good note. No returns on trunks trunks, all right? Good call. <laughs> Do the trunks trunks come with that little sticker inside that swimsuits <laughs> come with? <laughs> Where your junk goes? Yeah, I don't know if they come with the junk sticker or not. Mine didn't, but I, but I got the boy kind. The, the trunks trunks one piece for ladies uh, may come with the sticker for all I know. Yeah. The sticker doesn't seem reassuring. Like it's just going to be on the sticker, whatever whatever exactly. the sticker is there to keep off the suit. You put on the suit with the sticker, that sticker might have touched other junk. Yeah, hundreds of times even. Yeah, but I don't I don't have any better ideas. The sticker is probably the best idea either of us would be able to come up with, right? Right. Yeah. In the moment, can't think of anything better than that. So, anyways, uh, ransom mid sit up on exercise ball basically orders Mariner to like make this not a thing that he has to worry about. And so she heads off Freeman and, uh, Shaxx and Dr. Katz Her name is Dr. Tana. head down to the surface of the planet. And when they land, they find kind of a dried out medieval environment. It's not like verdant in the like lush, you know, medieval countryside way that you think of. It's like a lot of dry grass. Right. This is like a castle that was built in Southern California. You need all this grass to be dry because when you see the pitchforks and the uh, the threshers, mm, yeah. you need to be able to, like, that's in universe, that they're using right. those implements for their they're work. They're getting ready to harvest the, uh, yeah. They're getting ready to bail. Are there any non-threatening looking agricultural implements or do they all look like <laughs> medieval torture devices? They all do, right? Yeah. I guess, I guess a hoe like seems less threatening than a pitchfork. 
I think you could kill someone with a hoe pretty easily. I agree. I'm just saying it's a degree less threatening looking. Yeah. It's, you know, the stabbiness seems scarier. Right. Than just being like bludgeoned, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It all looks scary. It all looks bad. Especially when being waved at you in a threatening way. Yeah. So they're like radioing back up like, hey, there's lots of guys with uh, torches and pitchforks down here, uh, etc. And up on the bridge, they're like, well, this is the right star system. We're like in the orbit of the correct planet. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Second contact is about meeting like compatible warp capable people. Who the fuck are these guys? Yeah. I was thinking there must be some kind of like time travel thing that had happened with, you know, Vlad had gone back into their early history and holographically turned them into scared villagers or something. I also believed Vlad's involvement in this at a fairly early stage. It's, it, it, you know, like the, the scared villager imagery. Oh, Vlad's love those. That, yeah, that's like the only people that love scared villagers more than Vlad's is Frankenstein's, right? You were saying like 20,000 victims of Dracula? Yeah. Maybe 20 million scared villagers. Right, yeah. Think about how many pitchforks were just like floating around in uh, Transylvania back then. <laughs> you know, back when you bought one pitchfork for your whole life. Right, Because it was yeah. built to last. <laughs> They were built of tougher stuff back then. Yeah. So anyways, the Cliff Kids will enjoy the way this one ends because it's just Freeman and everybody running from an angry mob. And uh, we are into book two, Adam. We're, we're already there. Imagine having to wait for book two. Yeah. This is better, right? An entire month? No, I, I wait and I binge them. Yeah. <laughs> this is bingeable content. Mariner is all about accepting the work delegation of Ransom. Yeah. Ransom told her to basically fix the problem she created, and she is more than happy to do that with the help of the other lower deckers. Yeah, she's uh, en enlisting them in their bunk bed hallway at the beginning of this issue, and uh, there's kind of a rousing speech about how, yeah, like in the last issue, we had to pause the program because I was getting bit, we need to figure out something to do with this guy. We need to determine whether or not he is, in fact, sentient uh, so that we can, you know, come up with some next steps. And as she is doing this, she gets a notification on her iPad that the Dracula program is running again. It's scary when things self-run. Yeah. Dracula or not. Yeah. I, uh, classic prank would always call into... Uh, the bar where my father would go after work and ask them if their Dracula was running. <laughs> I'm just thinking about your dad at a bar by himself. <laughs> Hard to imagine. I love that image so much. <laughs> Back on the surface of the planet, the angry villagers are so angry that they've decided to burn... Freeman, Dr. Katz, and Shaxx at the stake, and they've already got this all set up. There's a big pile of that dry brush with three poles coming out of it. They get them all tied up on there. At least they got fresh poles, right? Mm. Yeah. These people think that they're witches, and 
Dr. Katz is the best evidence they have for this because that must be a spell that makes her that furry. Boy, they get these poles and hay put together fast. That's how you know these these people burn witches a lot, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're enthusiastic witch burners. Yeah. Every time they finish burning a witch, they rebuild their witch burning pyre just to get ready for the next one. There's something just so innately satisfying about building a fire. You know, it just feels good. You almost hate to light it because it's like, <laughs> man, I really did a great job putting this one together. The uh the like tinder and the kindling and the big logs all just configured just the way you want them. Yeah. I said something in proximity to Instagram about building a fire and now I'm getting like very short form how to build a great fire in your how to build a great fire in your firebox videos. <laughs> and uh, all sorts of inspiration there, Ben. I don't know what happened to me, but every advertisement I've seen on the internet in the last week has been about gray hair. Like here's like brush in stuff for Really? The, the the temples and like your you know oh do you have like a a, a close crop beard with some grays in it it's been hard to dye a beard like that until now <laughs> how does it know it knows that I'm almost forty is <laughs> basically what is happening the only gray on my entire birdie comes from what little beard I'm able to grow and uh, <laughs> and then I just shave it immediately that's how I get rid of my grays. Yeah, I have I have some uh, some temple grays. Yeah, and um, and some gray gardens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Put a little dye on the pitchfork and and brush it in. <laughs> Very decrepit tenement you got down yeah. there. Mm-hmm. It's nothing worse. I'm telling you. So yeah, the betas sprint down to the holodeck, but on their way down there. Uh, Mariner gets called by Stevens of all people. I didn't know that Stevens was in the chain of command above Mariner per se, but uh, he needs her to do a bunch of chores with regards to engineering. And so there's a little interlude page that shows all of these chores that she has to do over a schematic of the ship, which I really liked. Yeah. I really like the way they use the L cars format to like make the little, you know, comic book boxes on some of these pages. I like all the little cameos here. Like throughout all three comics, you see just about every lower decks character you've ever seen before, even if they don't have a speaking part. Right. And like yeah. Jet Manhammer. Manhaver? Manhaver. Manhammer is a great name. Manhammer is a great name. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I wish that had been my nickname. At yeah, college. Jet Manhaver uh, is seen in one of these panels. He doesn't have a speaking role, unfortunately. Yeah, he's like the second coolest person on the Cerritos. There's a kind of like Bill Lumberg, the mm. uh, Office Space kind of character. Yeah, sipping a cup of coffee, overseeing some of Mariner's maintenance work here. Great hair on this guy. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like, I have a pair of glasses like this, and and when I do show hair, I don't have dissimilar hair from this character. You don't. You could make this happen. This is a cosplay that's available to me. It is. Yeah. Anyways, she makes it to the holodeck, assured that her friends are probably in the middle of some bloody abattoir fighting this Dracula, but when she gets there, she finds them having a fun picnic. I mean, it's like in, in a lightning castle dark forest context but it's a nice picnic the storm really is raging yeah above them yeah 
it's not raining. It's just raging. Yeah. I mean, it's not a wet storm. Right. And that's important if your picnic blanket is still on the ground. Right. And uh, in this case, it is. They're having cake and watermelon and uh, draqueries, which are strawberry daiquiris in the case of the lower deckers and some sort of like synthetic blood beverage in the case of Dracula. Boimler has really fallen under the sway of this guy. He's he's taken to wearing a cape with a high cowl. He's really starting to like uh, follow in the confidence footsteps of Dracula. And uh, he will be wearing this cape for most of the rest of this issue and the next. <laughs> if you had to sneeze and you were wearing this cape, would you go into the head cone of it? Or would oh. you use the elbow cape crook Oh, catch man. of the sneeze. You have a lot of options. Yeah, you do have a lot of options. I feel like the elbow cape crook also just looks cooler, like you're about to, oh, you know, yeah. take to the skies as a bat. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes a sneeze comes on as a bit of a surprise, and, and it's nice to have the cowl there just in case, you know. I think so, too. Do you think, like, if you had to sleep at an airport, you turn the cape around, and maybe you use the cowl part as a place to set, sort of, like, rest your head or your face? Right, because you, yeah. I mean, if you haven't been sneezing in it, I suppose. Oh, that's right. That is a bad surprise <laughs> when you smell a thing you've sneezed into previously. Yeah. Not great. Yeah. So we get like sort of the rules of this Dracula enumerated here. This Dracula cannot turn you into a Dracula by biting you. Because this Dracula is photonic, it is not susceptible to being killed by sunlight. But it does have the ability to transform itself into a bat, which is really great. The best part yeah. of being a drac has got to be that, right? I mean, sign me up, man. I'd spend more time as a bat than as a human being. Like, was part of your fear when that girl bit you that, like, maybe I'll just be food and I won't get the powers and be able to turn into a bat? <laughs> How fast do you think you get that power after you've been turned? I don't know. Do you think that's like vampire puberty? Like you need to, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be a while before you can go back. I don't, yeah, I don't know um, how, like, because in zombie movies, there's like the period after the bite where the person is like hiding yeah. the wound under their the sleeve of their shirt and uh -huh. like not telling the other people in the group. But then eventually they turn and like their brother has to kill them and it's super traumatic or whatever. But like, I don't think I've ever seen a depiction of what the turnaround time is on all the cool powers when you've been bitten by a Dracula. This is a comic book series that seems very interested in writing canon for such mm. things. Yeah. Kind of a missed opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing, Ryan North? <laughs> <laughs> the greatest trick is yet to come. I'll tell you what Shax is doing is uh, hulking out. Shax overpowers the bonds that have him tied to his stake and frees Dr. Katz and Captain Freeman and then just beats the ever-living shit out of the aliens that have, uh, have rounded them up. Just a, a full two-pager of Shax mayhem. And uh, this was one of the little asides at the bottom of the page that I really liked. <laughs> it says... Uh, just before this happened, Shax shouted, you shall not separate body and Borea today. 
but showing that moment would have left less room on the page for him to be awesome and amazing and the best security officer ever. So I'm just telling you about it here instead. No regrets. This is the series of panels that really draws attention to the major flaw in the burning of the stake playset that these aliens created. I think when you're digging holes for posts, you got to go a little bit deeper. Mm. And uh, why don't we use some quick setting concrete mm, in there? Yeah, a, a, a non-fissile uh, surface material would have been smart. Yeah. Like clearing the area, because it, it seems like the fire spreads really quickly to like the entire field that they're all standing in. It's got to be embarrassing, like, if you're burning someone at the stake and the stake falls over before the person is sufficiently burned. Like, yeah. that's not a good look. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sloppy stake burning. Yeah. That is. Slap them up. They're used to sloppy stake burning on this planet, though. Like, they do it so often that it's like, uh, who cares if, like, a couple of them get screwed up, you know? One of these aliens start putting together the uh, burning at the stake playset, and another alien's like, you're not going to slap up these stakes again, are you? It's like, no, not this time. Before you knew it, we were dumping that water on those stakes. So in the holodeck, uh, Vlad takes them into his castle, which he's decorated with a bunch of uh, pretty funny artwork. Dracula on the moon, Dracula being Born as a baby, presumably to the parents of Boimler and Mariner. Dracula at first contact. Dracula hanging out with Borgs. Dracula holding a penguin like a lion in The Lion King. Yeah. Borgs and Draculas have a lot in common. It's the same like little like two puncture holes, you know? Oh, yeah. And then they turn you into them. But Borgs can't turn into bats, so worse. All of these tapestries look really expensive. Yeah. Yeah, they they, they did a, a real nice job gussying this place up. Are there people who specialize in the hanging of these things? It seems like something you could not do yourself. Oh, yeah. Art handlers. That's a very highly compensated uh, unionized position. Oh, really? I think so. I'm ready to believe that. I have a friend that works in museum administration, and she says it's like a big deal like to have stuff like this moved around. I bet. So, yeah, the gang is really turning around on Dracula. They, they had big concerns that he was a bad, but he's actually a good, he's a chill dude. He's a, he's a fun hang. <laughs> Thank you very much. What's he going to do now that he's alive? That's the question. Yeah. And, like, the conflict at this point is, like, you can't just kill someone who is alive that you've made in the holodeck. Right. You've got to, like, make a, an envir- an enriching environment for him, like that box that they put Moriarty in. It's like when you win the goldfish from the carnival, mm. but you don't have anything at home for the goldfish. You need to, like, make things up on the fly. Yeah. And you don't want to, like, walk around in a underground parking lot for hours and hours looking for your car while that goldfish slowly yeah uses up all the oxygen and the water that's in that bag pretty sad yeah but what about the fish the fish sorry so uh down on the planet Shax has finished beating up every single member of this alien race when a spaceship arrives and the aliens that get out of this spaceship just look like the same guys, but in spacier clothes. And boy, are they pissed. Right. They look like they're choir singers. 
But they have the same loaf. Yeah. They said that you just beat up the Yentoa and we are the Quavanti. And, you know, you talk a lot about your prime directive. Well, we've got one too. And you violated it. So get into my shuttle so we can talk more about this. Yeah. I love how there is that panel that there is some doubt about getting into a stranger's shuttle. <laughs> this is important. Yeah, yeah. Because she's described, so what What she's describing, this Quavanti lady, is that the Yentoa and the Quavanti are the same species, basically, but there's two continents on this planet, and whatever, like, cultural thing made them not pursue warp travel, like, they're described as having, like, achieved warp travel very late in their technological development relative to other species, so they're, like, really advanced at some stuff, but they're only just getting warp travel figured out. And the Yentoa are just like Bronze Age rubes that never developed at all. So the Quavanti weren't even aware of them for a long time. Yeah. They're just like found out about them like, oh, wow, there's like more of us on this other continent and they're dumb. They don't know anything. So we'll, we'll have a prime directive that we don't mess with them just like the Federation. Yeah. They still believe in witches and superstition. Yeah. Fools. Yeah. That nonsense is centuries behind us. They're making our atmosphere unbreathable because of all the witch burning they're doing. <laughs> yeah, their superstitions are holding us back. And uh, that's why we drop them. Yeah. So Freeman and the gang do consent to board this shuttle and find the, that they are, in fact, arrested. So second group of people they've met on the planet surface, and they're already in bondage again. Yeah, not great. But because they are Starfleets, they seem very content to submit to whatever rules yeah. are being thrown at them. Yeah, like, I mean, like, Freeman wants to salvage whatever, you know, this this mission has already gone completely sideways, and Freeman is looking for a way to make the diplomacy actually happen. But the Quavanti are really hearing none of it, and... uh the entire next two pages are about the uh, surface cannons of the Quavanti firing photons from the surface at the Cerritos and knocking the shields down to 17%. Sorry, 18%. I, uh, I exaggerated. Ben, you really, really want to be sure of the difference between 17 and 18. Mm. <laughs> I think it's weird that you have such a hard time. Yeah, I just, uh, sometimes you can't, it's hard to tell the difference, you know? So sometimes you look and you think, now is this okay or is it not? <laughs> oh, poor Ransom. Y you think like being given the con is a great thing when the captain's away. Yeah. Not in this case. Not once the uh, weapons start firing on you and your ships get dropped to 18%. Yeah. These bangers are even felt in the holodeck and everybody gets knocked over and the betas have to run out to, you know, head to battle stations or whatever. But something that gets left behind on the floor of the holodeck is a little puddle of Samantha Rutherford's blood. And Dracula gets a little taste of this and turns out the Dracaries are not going to be satisfying to Dracula anymore now that he's tasted the real deal Holyfield. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. He's got the real thing now, and Rutherford blood is so good. Yeah. 
So that's the end of book two. Hey, cheaters don't deserve nothing in Latinum. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. It has been a long time coming that podshop.biz is as good as it is. The stuff on there is just really high quality and there's a ton of variety. We got t-shirts and sweatshirts, obviously, but we've got hats, we've got mugs, we've got water bottles, patches, mouse pads, shower shoes. There's so much great stuff on there. I'm really proud of what we have on offer. I'm proud that the store has a lot of really great size-inclusive options, and uh, I think there's enough variety that just about any friend of DeSoto could find something that they'd really love to have in their collection at podshop.biz. So head over there and give it a look. Why don't you? Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? 
going on? Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. When we come back, we are in a classic alien courtroom where the judge is like two or three stories above the people being judged. Why do so many aliens build their courtrooms this way in Star Trek? Like, how, how is this judge able to even hear what's going on? That judge is so high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a real production anytime the judge wants to... Uh, Take a uh, a bathroom break. Yeah. Captain Freeman is radioing down to Ransom, like, do not try and rescue us. Do not try and attack the Quavanti. Like, this has gone way too wild, and we need to solve this with diplomacy. And so, you know, Ransom is very frustrated by this. And we see we see the Quavanti spaceships in orbit around the Cerritos. These are some thick daddies, Adam. <laughs> Aren't you frustrated by this, given... The ships that are surrounding the Cerritos and that the chances of a fair trial seem totally unlikely. Like, do you do you think that Freeman is willing to die for this? I mean, it sort of seems like she doesn't feel like she feels like she can't go back to Starfleet with the story being like we beam down and beat a bunch of people. <laughs> I mean, it's better than going back to Starfleet with no story because you're dead. What were the Covanti thinking? Like they could have just met the Cerritos in space. Why why all this bullshit with like landing your ship and given the coordinates? Yeah. And then not checking to make sure that they got the coordinates. I mean, this is like being obligated to invite someone to a party that you don't really want them to come to, right? Like right. you just you give them the minimum of of directions. <laughs> You don't pick up the phone if they ask for clarification when they're on their way. Man, very frustrating. Yeah. One time I had a party in uh, in high school. It was like my freshman year. I really didn't know many people in my high school. My birthday came around kind of early in the first semester. And I thought maybe I'll throw a party at my house and invite a bunch of kids. And like no RSVPs. Nobody RSVP'd to this party. And I was like, well, this is just not happening. And so I canceled it. And one kid that hadn't RSVP'd did not get the memo that had been canceled. And so my parents like took me out to a movie. And this is like before everybody had cell phones. So he and his father like drove like half an hour to our house and sat outside for a while trying to figure out what was going on. And that uh, that kid... Did not like me after that. <laughs> Who's more embarrassed in that situation? You, who had no one interested in going to a birthday party, or that kid, the one person that intended to? 
the thing is, like, that kid had, like, lots of social opportunities that I didn't have. He was one of the popular kids. Like, he was there. You'd never cross a popular kid. You just can't do it. I fucked up. I completely blew it. Yeah. This kid had a pickup truck in high school that had a TV in the dashboard. Oh! Yeah. We're talking TV dashboard popular. In, like, 98? <laughs> I would say 2001. Wow. He had like a custom paint job pickup truck with like a totally custom entertainment system built into the dashboard. So do you think, what are the chances that that kid with the TV in the dashboard, he's probably watching all sorts of TV all the time. What do you think are the chances that he watched 9-11 on the TV in his his pickup truck? (laughs) (laughs) um i mean pretty high i think right yeah i'm trying to remember because there was a whole timeline like that truck showed up after he totaled an m3 that his parents got him when he turned 16 oh m3 is a powerful car yeah, and uh, and it lasted six months. Like he, yeah. a brand new off. Like his, his family was very wealthy, and uh, I'm trying to think of if he was still in the uncustomized <laughs> BMW or the fully tricked out like pimp my rides pickup truck. Yeah. By the time eleven happened. <laughs> hey, I heard you liked being prepared to watch breaking news on your in pickup truck television. <laughs> Here's a very sad opportunity to do that, says Exhibit on a very special episode of Pit My Ride. <laughs> Written by Aaron Sorkin. That was the whole <laughs> guest, <laughs> <a> guest episode. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, all of this happening, Dracula is frustratedly trying to get out of the holodeck and discovering that, you know, he can stick his arm out the hole, but it disappears the second it's in the hallway. And he's trying a bunch of like different ways of getting the computer to make him capable of enslaving the crew of the ship in a dungeon and eventually figures out that he can just kind of like sideload knowledge, enough knowledge to enable him to hack the computer himself. And he basically builds himself a, uh, a Dwight Schultz chair. Right. Barkley, what's going on? Because uh, uh, uh. his commands to the computer are not make me able to destroy the Cerritos and enslave their crew. It's more like, Teach me the skills. Teach me how to fish mm. <laughs> so that I may enslave the crew and take over the ship. Yeah, yeah. However I please, whenever I'm hungry. They say, give a man a fish and I'll eat for a day. Teach a Dracula to hack and he'll suck blood for as long as he wants. Yeah. Or for as long as he wants, mm. to be more specific. Indeed. Yeah. The betas, meanwhile, are on, uh, like, figure out how to stop the Quivanti weapons from fucking us up as much or figure out how to penetrate their shields duty. I noticed that the uh, the cape was not very flattering to Boims in some of these shots. He looks mm-hmm. like he's getting a little doughy. Yeah. His ass looked a little bit bigger than I'm used to seeing it. It's interesting how boxy he looks while wearing a flowy cape. 
Yeah. Not really the effect you'd imagine wearing one of these. Right. You would think it would be slimming, but instead it... This is what happens so often when you buy off the rack. Right. Right. What he needs is to get this cape tailored. You know, even get your inexpensive clothes tailored. That's a right. that's a great fashion tip. Yeah, what you need is the uh, is the face cone mm. tailored to make your face and neck more uh, slender looking. You know, right? Maybe you add some vertical stripes on the inside <laughs> of that thing. You know, <laughs> it's a real trompe l'oeil. <laughs> At what point do you cross into circus ringmaster territory with the design of your cape, though? Because I feel like as soon as we add stripes, stripes I think we're getting circusy. Like that's a very circusy look. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean that's a shame. That's you wish circuses would go like just stick with polka dots or something. Like, <laughs> but no, they had to go for stripes. Yeah. Yeah. They got greedy. Yeah. A lot of slender-looking circus men. <laughs> <laughs> in the trade. No. Yeah. So as they're running all these simulations, they notice that the computer is going slower and slower. And it's one of those like, oh, do we have to put on caps lock to uh, mm-hmm. to stop like showing the render on screen <laughs> to keep this render from taking all night? They realize that the spare cycles are all going to the holodeck and they head back down there and they find the Barkley chair shooting the laser beams at Dracula's head. And Dracula reveals that uh, having tasted Rutherford's real blood, he's going to be a real blood enthusiast going forward, and uh, he's going to enslave the crew, etc., etc., etc. And drink their blood. All he's had up to this point is that one little lick of the beater. Yeah. Right. Of Rutherford's blood, and he's hooked. Mm-hmm. Rutherford's blood, not even once. <laughs> oh, yeah. The before and after just being Dracula without a broccoli chair and Dracula with a broccoli chair. Yeah. Makes all the difference. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I went on to be a right-wing radio host. I, I don't blame anyone for being afraid of Rutherford's blood based on this. Why was Mariner able to get the dermal regenerator to her neck, but Rutherford's hand is still bandaged? Yeah, what's going on there? Hey, Rutherford, take care of yourself. Yeah. He's got engineer hands. He's really one of those, like, work yourself to a crisp kind of guys, though. He's got... Yeah. He's a bit of a workaholic, you know? Yeah. Well, there's a new ship. right So they calculate, like, we've got plenty of blood based on what this guy needs, right? Like, Yeah, just the four of them. You don't have to enslave the whole crew. Yeah. This is like, this is the diplomacy to get out of a bad situation that Freeman was hoping for. Yeah. It's happening up on the ship. And Boimler is more than happy to provide. Yeah. But he also wants a mobile emitter, and Rutherford comes up with a kind of a jumbo mobile emitter idea pretty quickly. Way more quickly than you would think would be possible based on the shows. It looked so much like an exocomp to me. It did. That I was momentarily confused by this homebrew setup. Yeah. Yeah. A hexagonal design, much like an exocomp. It looks like a thing that fucks Birdman. (laughs) So, uh, meanwhile, the 
trial is not going well down on the Quavanti planet. More attacks being uh, sent toward the Cerritos and more orders from Freeman not to fight back to ransom. And uh, with his new mobile emitter, Dracula agrees to help the gang. Like they really bought Dracula's loyalty at a very low price, I thought. Yeah, I mean, and this is in keeping with this overarching like Federation do-over concept. He seems very interested in becoming Federation mostly because of how forgiving it is as an organization, right? Yeah, like if only the original Vlad Dracul could have been so forgiving of those 20,000 Ottoman invaders, you know? (laughs) Hey, in what direction does the forgiveness need to go in that situation? (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's a a good question. Like, Hey, they're they're very good people on the Ottoman side, too. (laughs) Yeah, so... uh, (laughs) So they get their uh, first contact spacesuits on and they go out on the hull of the Cerritos and they basically throw the mobile emitter at the attacking Quofanti ship. Or they're they're like getting ready to when they realize that the Cerritos is about to go to warp. So they have to jump off the hull into space and they throw the bat at the Quofanti ship and he can go through the shield slowly because uh, I guess that's how the... <laughs> The shields work, they figure out. Oof. Yeah. And it gets one more <laughs> modification of character where he goes like, computer, give me like cutting torch fingers. Yeah, the last couple pages of issue three really breeze pretty fast. <laughs> they do. <laughs> yeah, there's some some pacing issues in these books, but uh, yeah, they've basically let a wild Dracula loose on this Quavanti ship. And... I was wondering, like, would Quavanti blood taste as good to a Dracula? Or does it have to be human blood? I mean, I think you've asked the essential question, which is, is Dracula racist? Mm. <laughs> and the more you turn that question around in your head, the more you begin to understand maybe what the Ottomans were, <laughs> were so up against, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he kind of surprises you because uh, on... Page 18 here, he says, uh, race is a social construct, blah. (laughs) And then Freeman says, uh, that doesn't mean racism doesn't exist, you idiot. I thought so much about the scene where Tendi's got to throw the exocomp with the bat attached. Yeah. And it's a moment in the comic that goes so far as to give like the, the, the science to it in the, in the little editorial spot below about how like it's hard to put anything on a throw if you're floating in space because your energy is equally opposed and so forth Uh but like what do you make of the bat wing part of this like do you not want to flap if you're the bat oh the bat flap probably doesn't help huh yeah because you're in space you're you're in hard vacuum so the, the flapping probably doesn't do anything right yeah but then, like, yeah, what's is it just is it just the like ricochet effect of pulling the exocomp through the shield that causes Dracula to like land on the hull of the starship eventually? I think that's what the story wants us to go with. Yeah. Well, anyways, he uncovers a horrible truth when he gets on board this ship, which is that 
the Quavanti were actually the backwards assholes. Right. They were like gun and knife people, and they discovered the uh, what was the other guys called? Yeah, I know who you're talking about, but I don't know yeah. who you're talking about. Whatever the other guys, not the Quavanti were. Right. The Yentoa. The Yentoa. They were like super technically advanced, but peaceful and maybe like a bit naive about defending themselves. So the Quavanti stole all their technology and subjected them to a Bronze Age level of technology and, and are like intentionally keeping them isolated. So turns out the Quavanti are giant assholes and nobody in the Federation should feel bad about hating them what happened to dracula's parents because he's obviously a slick back oh shit yeah i mean maybe that's why he's so angry i think we're really starting to understand where dracula's coming from but then again vlad dracul couldn't be less of a slick back (laughs) like if you're using a curling iron you've you've gone hard in the opposite direction of being a slick back it just seems unfortunate that the cycle of slickback violence is such that <laughs> like someone like Dracula probably made a lot of orphans out of uh the Ottomans, right? Right. A lot of Ottoman orphans is what he made. Ottomorphans. Yeah. I believe they're called. The uh the Ottomorphan Power Rangers series is uh is a pitch. <laughs> That they turned down, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. We got kicked out of the Saban media offices. (laughs) (laughs) When we brought that one. I haven't thought about that in a long time. (laughs) So uh, having unveiled the dark secret of this planet, which is like not that dark a secret, you know? They're not powering their civilization on children or anything. No. We honor his sacrifice. I think there's a scale to these things, and that's by far the darkest on that scale, right? Right, right. On your Mount Atrocity more, child battery is in position up there. And you're not talking about battering a child. You're talking about turning a child into a battery. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, instead of uh, prosecuting Freeman, the Quavanti are going to have to clean up their act and like pay reparations to the... uh, Whatever the other guys were called. Yentoa. If they're ever going to be made members of the Federation. Yeah. Yeah, and they're going to have to do it. Or else. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Like, clean up your act or no Federation for you. Right. And then we warp off and we get a captain's log and a tearful goodbye where they are giving Dracula his own (laughs) shuttle, which seems really, really risky. I mean, because he's going back to participate in secondary education. I mean, that's what he says he's going to. That Starfleet is doing. Like, it it seems like renting a car from one airport and then, like, dropping it off at a different airport or whatever. Right. But uh, he was just born. He has no credit. I don't know why the rental car company is doing business with him, you know? <laughs> What's to stop him from just driving that car wherever the fuck he wants and, and sucking... Whatever blood he wants. He's old enough to drive. He's he's past vampire puberty. <laughs> if you can turn into a bat, you can rent a car. <laughs> That's just science. Yeah. So uh, the uh, the big laugh line we end on is uh, Mariner suggesting that the betas head back to the holodeck and make a sentient werewolf. 
Yeah, no one wants any part of this. No, no. Not an enthusiastic reception to that idea. No. And that's the end. Did you like the comic book, Adam? Let me tell you what I love about comic books. Kicking back in a comfortable chair, reading comic books. Yeah, that is nice. Isn't that a great afternoon? It really is. I think it is. I thought that this was really funny. I think that there's a high degree of difficulty for the printed word or the printed word plus pictures to be like laugh out loud funny. Like Mm -hmm. I really love comic strips. Like, you know, I've got the complete far side and the complete Calvin and Hobbes here on my bookshelf right next to me. Oh, I see the complete family circus. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, it's like open actually on your desk. You can see that little dotted line showing all the different places Billy went. (laughs) And uh, I'm a big fan of the medium. I don't, laugh out loud at it very often despite my fandom of that so i i will say that like i wasn't getting belly laughs from this comic the way i do from the show but i kind of could see this being an episode of the show that really worked for me that is an interesting point yeah yeah i could say the same and i think it should also be noted that like there's one writer for these comics and right. Lower Decks is afforded the benefit of a room full of writers honing jokes and storyline and so forth. Yeah. So like as a vision by a smaller group of people, I think it is an amazing achievement. And I mean, given that it's artwork, like we have not said that it's drawn by Chris Finoglio, like it looks exactly like the TV show. Yeah, it looks great. It's a really fun looking book to page through. And uh, I like the design of the aliens. There's like lots of subtle jokes. Like <laughs> that Shax has the Hannibal Lecter mask on when they're, when they're doing the trial. Like <laughs> that really cracked me up. That's got to smell like a used retainer though. That's not going to be good. That smells worse than a cowl that you've sneezed in. I bet, How, right? Where did the Quavanti get that thing? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> How do they know about Hannibal Lecter? Yeah. Have we beamed... Silence of the Lambs into space? Is that like on the golden record? Yeah. <laughs> that was good. That seems like not something we would want to lead with, you know, as a cultural artifact. Is your security officer a great big Bajoran? <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're trying to figure out. <laughs> well, uh... That was a ton of fun to do, Adam, but uh, you know what also is a ton of fun is our Priority One inbox. You want to see if there's anything in there? Oh, yeah. Tons of fun in there. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Our first Priority One message is from Ryan from Sacktown, and it's to Ben and Adam, and it goes like this. Hey, guys, just writing in to say thanks for watching Prodigy so I don't have to. Quick question. There's a good chance that the Prodigy characters will never age. But if they did, which do you think would be the most interesting to feature in a new show as an adult? I'm going to go have an instant road drop at the bar. Thanks for making great pod. So uh, Ryan from Sacktown uh, pitching a... Uh, we should come up with a shot recipe mm. for the instant road drop. <laughs> oh, I like that idea. Like based on a lemon drop, maybe. Oh, yeah, something something sour. Yeah. For sure. Something zesty. Like Picard's face when he realized he's been double-crossed <laughs> by Roe Allen. <laughs> Boy, I, uh, 
I'm very curious to see if there are any more uh, life phases for whatever species Murph is, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What does adult even mean for someone like Murph? We've seen larva. We've seen pupa. Mm-hmm. I mean, the body count just goes higher and higher. Could they ever get Murph under control by the time Murph is an adult? I mean, what happens to Murph after his puberty? Fuck, man. I know. God, the mind reels. It's it's like, where's Murph? We're on an important mission. I don't know. He's in his quarters and he's been in there a long time. <laughs> also, why does the sonic shower smell that way? I don't know. Murph was just in there. Yeah. A long time. Hmm. Taking a shit in the uh, communal shower. I don't like that. No, that's like a war crime. <laughs> that's like the rule on tour buses. Uh-huh. You got to hit the hot bag. If you gotta go. <laughs> gotta hit the hot bag and walk it into the hotel lobby. Sure do. Yeah. I mean, most interesting to feature in a new show as an adult is specifically the question. Yeah. I don't know if Murph can hold a show on their own because Murph doesn't say anything. And I think uh, dialogue is an important quality to any Star Trek series. Sure. Yeah. Well, who, what are they going to do with a McLaughlin group if Murph is just sitting there going... Yeah. Do people understand what Murph is saying when he does that? Like Boba Fett or whatever? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think so. So maybe is it is it Gwen? Like, she seems like kind of a, an interesting and complex character. Is it Rock Talk? Having gotten braces or something? Yeah, post-orthodontia Rock Talk. <laughs> That's a show I would watch. Like, just totally great at all the sciences. Every science. Right, right. Rock Talk's good at. Driving around one of those science ships with the big bulbous head on it oh. and the tiny nacelles. Uh-huh. Yeah, the sphere section and the yeah. baby nacelles. That's got to be so disappointing. You get assigned a ship and you get you get the ball ship. Yeah, yeah. The ball ships are not, not a good looking class of ship, I don't think. I mean... Beverly Crusher got assigned one of those ships, and that's damning. Maybe that's what season three of Star Trek Picard is about, is about uh, her hatred of the ball ship. <laughs> She's the big, like, villain in it. Yeah. She, it's about a vendetta she has against the entire Federation based on being given a commission on a USS ball. <laughs> oh, shit, we've got another P1, Ben. I better yeah, read it. Let's get to it. It's from Leonard Shelby. It's to Adam and Ben. That message goes like this. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I am starting my second run of TGG from the beginning. Wow. This includes viewing all TNG episodes except for the ones you vetoed. (laughs) And then viewing the corresponding TGG app. Because I have a terrible memory, each time I hear one of my previous Jumbotrons, I will buy a new one. Wow. Kern and I have matching tattoos for this. <laughs> Thank you, Leonard. That's very kind and generous of you. Um, this is like a P1 feedback loop that Leonard Shelby yeah. has done here. The question is, did Leonard Shelby put this P1 on the wrong show? Because Mm. (laughs) it sounds like Leonard Shelby is a fan of The Greatest Generation, but this is Greatest Trek, a totally different show. 
But Greatest Trek has the shortest amount of wait time between submitting a P1 and getting it read on the show. So I think Leonard Shelby's onto something. If you want one read fast. Yeah. If you really want to burn through your P1 budget, uh, this is the show to do it on. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, thanks to everyone who got a P1. If you would like to follow their example, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set one up today. Some inventory for the coverage of Star Trek Picard Series 3 is available based on just looking through this here. So uh, if you'd like to uh, say something to someone as we cover that series, jump on it. It's coming right up. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I'm going to give it to the disembodied voice at the bottom of many, if not most, of the pages of this comic book. I noticed that there was a run of pages without those, and then like when they came back, there was like a little apology, like, hey, sorry, I was like, doing other shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that they are my Edward Larkin because of the amount of chaos in the perspective that those notes seem to be coming from. Didn't really feel like one coherent character or entity it's uh yeah just a place to put other gags like sometimes it's just other pitches for jokes that could have been in the page that you just finished reading and in that way i fully support the concept right like joke density go for it yeah i read every single one of them i was uh you know like i'm the kind of person that if that isn't consistently delivering i will just start to ignore mm-hmm. whatever that is mm-hmm. and uh, i thought that that was a very fun part of reading through this so i gotta believe there was an argument about whether or not to introduce that character yeah and i'm glad they decided not to i'm glad it was just a thing yeah i agree and and i don't feel resolved about it but i liked the game of wondering like is is this one character or yeah. or many or is that not important or whatever right Ben, my Edward Larkin goes to Dr. Scant. You might know him as the figure who was, you know how like if when you were in a in a little league team, mm. there's like two rows of, of your teammates when you take the picture. There's the back row, which stands up. That's probably where you were right. as the tall. Right. And then there's the shorter folks who, who like get down on one knee. And Dr. Scant gets down on one knee to do medicine on Ransom in in the third issue of the comic. And you just got to be careful when you're doing that one knee thing if you're wearing a scant, I think, because mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. thing is just open and it yeah. is facing your patient and I don't think it's helping them recuperate. Yeah, the... Uh, I want to see Dr. Scant on the show. I do too, Adam. Um, I mean, Dr. Scant is showing Ransom what he's working with, you know? <laughs> This is an unanswerable question, but like IDW's relationship with Star Trek is such that they're doing books on all the new Star Trek series. Yeah. But like, I wonder how much you hold back in the story development. Like if you made Dr. Scant a really important and interesting character in these comics, that would actually kind of be a mistake, right? Because then then you'd be watching the show going, well, wh- where the hell is Dr. Scant? Right, yeah. You really need to focus your story making on the main characters and not try to over create. Right. It's a lot to worry about. And uh, 
I'm glad that Dr. Scant is enough of a cipher that this could easily be one of the other doctors on the ship that reports mm-hmm. to Dr. Katz in an upcoming season without creating continuity issues or, you know, in, you know, canon that is in conflict with other canon. He is a thick, uncut cipher, and he's too interesting for the mainline television show. <laughs> well, that was a lot of fun, Adam. We are uh, coming right up on season three of Picard, and uh, I think that uh, people will be intrigued to find out what's coming up next on Greatest Trek. The only way to find out about that, though, is to listen to the credits. Ben, before we go, we need to bring back the hit segment that everyone listens until the end for. Yeah. It's the segment that highlights a nice or mean thing that a friend of DeSoto has said about our show. Most of the time, it comes across as a warning to others. That's why we call them Warning Boys. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning Boys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. It's true. We got uh, one here that was a review of our show on Apple Podcasts, uh, which... We don't usually check the reviews, but Wendy does, and she added this to our list. Pete from the internet said, a friend of mine was recently admitted to the hospital. It was stressful all around, but if there was any moment of levity to be found in an otherwise grim situation, it was listening to Greatest Trek while driving to visit my friend. Pulling into the parking lot just as Ben and Adam got to the climax of the Barnes Frex song and realizing from the looks I'm getting that everybody in the lot can hear the song over my car speakers. Had I known I would be broadcasting, I'd have rolled my windows down and pumped up the bass. Thanks for the laugh, guys. Wow. That's a five-star review right there. You know, I believe we're still the highest and most reviewed Star Trek podcast on Apple Podcast. At least that was true for a long time. That's true of Greatest Generation, but Greatest Trek, not so much. Right. Well, you know, like it or not, reviews are one of the most powerful ways to get new ears on our podcast. So if you haven't reviewed Greatest Trek yet, we sure would appreciate it. Yeah, that would be awesome. And maybe you'll hear us read your review back right here on an episode of the show. Yeah. What a delight that would be. That would rule. For everyone. Well, thanks so much for listening. And now, here are some credits. Greatest Trek is an Oxford Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. We are looking forward to the Picard Season 3 premiere next week, and Greatest Trek will also be back next week on Friday with a review of Episode 1. Adam Ragusea created all of the original music that you hear on this show. Make sure you're subscribed to his podcast and his YouTube cooking channel. Thank you to Bill Tilly for running the at Greatest Trek social media pages on Instagram and Twitter. And thank you to Nick Dittmer. He created the show art and he also helps out over at podshop.biz. And a big thank you to the members who are supporting Greatest Trek at MaximumFun.org slash join. If you're not a member yet, it's really easy to set it up and you get instant access to all of MaxFun's bonus content, including monthly bonus episodes from Uxbridge Shimoda. And don't forget about that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate your ratings and recommendations. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next Friday on Greatest Trek. Fushta! MaximumFun.org
comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.